Aren't you glad he's not the great I was? He's not a has-been. He is the great I am. Who shall I tell him has sent me? Tell him that I am that I am has sent you. Well, I'll tell you what. That means the one with all power, all authority. Jesus said all power both in heaven and earth is given unto me. Boy, I'm telling you what. I'm glad he is the great I am. Hallelujah. Amen. Sister Barbara McGraw, it's so good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. God bless you. Amen. Oh, she's such a precious woman. And uh, so, so many people there at the hospital, they just loved her so much. Fifty years working there at the hospital, just called her Mom McGraw. Amen. And now, now she's taking care of Brother Brady, and I'm proud of her for doing it. Amen. He has been such a godly, precious man. But I'm praying that the Lord is going to strengthen him though he'll be able to come back to church soon. Amen. We'll pray for that effect. Would you stand if you can? His sister passed away, Brother Junior White's sister, so do remember them. Amen. She's at Peary and St. Clair Funeral Home in Tazewell. So remember Brother Junior and the, the family there on that. Anything else I need to say or do, don't forget, youth camp this week, and uh, services don't start till 7.30. And uh, so down at Camp Golan, you'll enjoy yourself. Go down there. It's a beautiful place, and uh, it should be wet enough. There should be good, uh, a whole lot of mosquitoes, but you need to put you some spray on and keep them off of you. And... Uh, Anyhow, aren't you glad to be in church tonight? Would you stand and let's pray for Brother Brady and, and Brother and Sister Barbara and Brian and, uh, and pray for Brother Junior and uh, let's just invite the presence of the Lord to anoint Brother David tonight. Our Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, how we magnify you for your love and mercy to usward. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, for special strength and healing for Brother Brady, God of heaven. Lord, it's not over till you say it's over. And, Lord, and I trust you and we believe in prayer that you're able to lift him up, strengthen them as they care for him. Lord, we pray for Brother Junior and the White family. Oh, God, move in their behalf. Lord, anoint Brother David as he breaks the bread of life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm grateful to be here this evening and appreciate the Spirit of the Lord that's here at the Tabernacle tonight, and uh, thank you so much for your giving. That's not what I come for, but may God richly bless you for that, and I give honor to Brother Philip and Brother Bob and Sister Doris, and uh, appreciate everybody here at the Tabernacle and invite you to come to the youth camp this week. How many believes in youth camp? How many wishes you still young enough to go to youth camp? Well, that's, I, I told somebody the other day, they said, they said, David, you still go to a lot of youth camps. I said, well, I, I retired from youth camp. I just go to camp meetings now. But uh, anyways, I'm glad for the things of the Lord. I read this a few days ago, 11 ways to be miserable. 
11 ways to be miserable. Number one, think about yourself. Number two, talk about yourself as much as you possibly can. Number three, use the personal pronoun I very often. Number four, demand agreement with your own views on everything. Number five, sulk and complain if you aren't appreciated or complimented. Number six, never forget what you do for others and always expect repayment. Number seven, boy, we're good at this one right here. Number seven, be suspicious of everybody. How many knows God gives us the gift of discernment, not the gift of suspicion? Be suspicious of everybody. Number eight, be sensitive to critics. Number nine, be jealous and envious. God help us with that one. Number ten, trust nobody but yourself. Number eleven, never forget to criticize throughout the whole day. Do these things and you'll live a miserable life. Praise God. I don't want to be a miserable person. How many knows that, that we are in this thing? I love what Brother Jerry Turner says. He says this quite often. He said, what is better than going to heaven? Taking somebody with you when you go. It's not about us. It's not about me. And it's not about you. But it's about what we can do in the hands of the master. And so I want to be an instrument in God's hands this evening. Second Kings chapter number 6 is where I want to begin reading from. A few months ago, whenever I had come down here, I had uh, done some studies, and I talked to Brother Philip about it, uh, some studies about Pentecost. I want to say tonight I'm glad that I'm Pentecostal. Aren't you glad that you're Pentecostal? Well, a few of you. Some of you, we might have a few Baptists or Methodists or Presbyterians in the crowd tonight, but I'm glad that I'm Pentecostal. Whenever I was a, a boy, uh, just a little boy, uh, I used to, uh, me and my brother, we used to play church uh, down in the basement of the house. Now, I, I never hear about Catholic children reenacting Mass. Never, never, never hear about that. Never read about it. Never, never hear about it. I, I really never read about Presbyterians uh, reenacting their services. But there's something about Pentecostal meetings that is just attractive. Hallelujah. There's something about a Pentecostal church that's got energy in it. Is anybody alive? Me and my brother, we used to reenact church. And uh, I was the preacher. He was the deacon and the offering taker upper. And my sister, she was always the sinner. That was the best part of the meeting. Leah was always the sinner. And uh, maybe we should have prayed a little bit harder for her. I don't know. But uh, I uh, have always been attracted to preaching tapes. And I listen to preaching tapes all the time. Now, I know tapes are outdated, and now CDs are just about outdated. New cars don't even have CD players in them. But uh, I was up at my grandparents' house a couple years ago and seen an old Walkman that my grandmother had with the speaker built in, and I said, you know what? 
with a USB cord or, or, or with one of those auxiliary cables, I'm going to take that thing on the road with me. And so I got piles of preaching tapes out there in my car, and I just listened to them one right after another. But I've always been attracted to preaching tapes, and so um, I got the idea when I was about six or seven years old, you know, I ought to go into the tape business myself. And so I started recording myself preaching whenever I was just six or seven years old. And um, we had, we was in meeting up there at Brother Miller's, and Brother Donrich was preaching the night services, and, uh, and so my dad took me up to Brother Rich after church one night, and he said, David, this is an Oklahoma preacher. And I reached my hand out there and introduced myself to Brother Rich, and I said, I'm a preacher just like you are. He said, oh, son, are you a holiness preacher? I said, you don't even know. I preach holiness. And I gave him, well, let me say this. I said, Brother Rich, uh, I liked your sermon tonight. And he said, oh, thank you, son, thank you, son. I said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to make sure that my mom and dad buys me one of those tapes. And, you know, I'm a preacher, too. Maybe you'd like to buy one of my preaching tapes. And Brother Don Rich gave me my first $5 bill on preaching tapes in the ministry. On that tape, I was preaching holiness. And I was preaching against people driving cars to church. Praise God, it was a spiritual sermon, let me tell you that. But I'm thankful that I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal believer. I'm thankful that the gift of the Holy Ghost is still just as real now as it's ever been. Hallelujah. I want to preach about this gift of the Holy Ghost tonight, if God would help me. It's something that is uh, detrimental to our churches. 2 Kings chapter number uh, 6. Something very important, rather, uh, to our churches. 2 Kings chapter number 6. The sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Here's commentary on that verse. Elisha, the place where you've got us here is too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. He answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? He showed him the place. He cut down a stick and cast it in thither, in the iron did swim now we oftentimes think that this this iron this axe head was floating but the bible says the iron did swim in other words it went against the law of gravity that which had fell and sank into the muddy waters of the jordan river it's just like this axe head sprouted legs and arms and begin to swim his way back to the top. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, 
And he put out his hand and took it. I want to preach tonight, if God would help me. You're going to notice here that this axe head had fallen. It was dead in the bottom of the Jordan River. But the Bible tells us the axe head, the iron, did swim. And to the person that lost the iron, Elisha, when it's raised back up again, says, reach out and take it. Here's what I want to preach about tonight. I want to preach about reaching for risen power. Reaching for risen power. <clears throat> Sometimes the great struggles in life is something that is not social or economic or public that everybody else around us can see. But rather sometimes the greatest struggles is when we're by ourselves. And it's that war in the spiritual where our flesh and our spirit man collide. And remember as the Bible teaches... You've got to get the flesh under subjection. The Bible says we walk not after the flesh, but what? After the Spirit. If we are ever going to make a difference in our church, if we're ever going to make a difference in our world, and if there's ever going to be a change made in your life, you're going to have to stop chasing after the things of the world and begin reaching for the things of God. Now, Elisha starts this school of the prophets, this preacher school that we could say. And I can imagine, Brother Roger, if, uh, if, if I was in Elisha's shoes this day, you know, whenever, whenever you've got uh, a bunch of boys, a bunch of young men that are following after you and you're having to come up with new materials and new lessons for the school. And you get a knock at your door. And you've had a busy day. Seems like that things are so hectic and out of control. And here comes one of them students knocking on the door. And I, I can imagine whenever that boy walked in there, Elisha probably thought, oh boy, what, what is it today? They came in here yesterday and complained about the food. Now, how do I know about bad food at Bible school? I went to export for two weeks. Praise God. It wasn't, it wasn't a cuisine or a, or a ten-course meal every night. I can imagine that Elisha is probably thinking, what in the world do these guys want to bother me with now? And they come in there and they say, hey, Elisha, uh, we want to talk to you about something. And Elisha Probably thinking, all right, fellas, uh, what you got to talk to me about today? Elisha, this building where we're in tonight, it's too small for us. This is too small of a place. We need to build something bigger. I can imagine Elisha probably thinking, well, praise God. I guess preaching on faith has paid off after all. I mean, these guys came to Elisha 
and they wanted to do a work for God. Let me tell us, brother and sister, there is a work that needs to be done for God in your life, in your family, and right here at the Richlands Tabernacle. They decide there's something that needs to be done for the kingdom of God. Let's work while it's day. The rain has came. The seed's been planted. The sun has shined. And there's a harvest that is rotting with the passing of time. Somebody's got to go to work right now. How many in this building knows there's something to be done for God right here in Richlands? And they decide, Elisha, this building where we're at right now is too small for us. There was a preacher years ago, and every Monday he would go to sit at the train tracks. And uh, uh, a young preacher asked him, said, uh, uh, Mr. Pastor, why? Do you go over and sit at the train tracks every Monday? It's a habit of yours. I've been noticing. Why do you do that every Monday? He said, son, it's just nice to watch something go without me having to push it. Praise God. You know what? Sometimes uh, while the preachers are preaching, he's having to push He's having to prime. He's having to beg for amens. You know what God needs? He needs some Pentecostal believers. Some Pentecostal hands. Some Pentecostal voices. That'll say, you don't have to tell me twice. I come to church to worship. I come to church to praise God. I came to church to put into the meeting. Put my shoulder to the wheel and see what God will do. There ain't nothing worse than having a form of godliness but no power to back it up. There is nothing worse that can happen to a church that claims to be Pentecostal but they don't have any evidence of Pentecostal power in their meetings. Brother and sister, what took this world by force over the last hundred years was not by might. It was not by power. But it was by the Spirit of the Lord that would fall in the congregation. And the people with one voice would say, we've got a work to do. We've got to get something done for God. And they go out and they're doing something. Now listen, Elisha hears these boys and they want to build another Bible school. Now, we're here at the tabernacle. In the, this is one of the largest churches that we have amongst our fellowship in our movement. It's one of the largest churches that we have. Now, I'm not just saying this just because I'm here uh, this evening. Yeah, I was going back and forth, and uh, yeah, I even told Brother Philip, Brother Philip, you go ahead and preach tonight. I've got to preach all this next week and got another youth camp in Florida the week after that. But I felt in prayer this afternoon 
to tell the rich land's tabernacle, this building, this place where you're at is too small. You say, well, there's empty pews here. There's empty seats there. You don't understand what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to do something big. He's wanting to do something extraordinary. Maybe if we have another revival where the Holy Ghost is poured out, that even the size of the Richland's Tabernacle can't hold everybody because God is doing something. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Oh, it's in the realm of possibilities. You know why it's in the realm of uh, possibilities, Brother Philip? It's because this church was not founded on a rock in the natural. It was founded on a rock in the supernatural. Hallelujah. My God, I feel like preaching tonight. This church, listen folks, that servant came to Elisha. And he looked out and seen the campfires of the Assyrians that surrounded Dothan. And it didn't look good. It didn't look good for the city. There was terrible things that was going on. They had cut off their food supply, cut off their supply of clean drinking water. And that servant looks out and he sees the whole camp of the Assyrian army that surrounds them all. And he calls for Elisha, the man of God. He says, Elisha, look out over here. Can't you see the enemy has us surrounded? Brother and sister, I want you to know tonight the Richland's Tabernacle has an enemy. I said the tabernacle has an enemy. The devil wants to destroy your church. The devil wants to weaken this congregation. But I feel the Holy Ghost rising up inside of me to tell you what Elisha told that servant. That servant said, Elisha, the camp of the Syrians, they're more than we are. We're outnumbered ten to one. There's no way that we can escape. And he asked Elisha the question, How shall we do, Master? Here's the interpretation of that verse. Elisha, whenever they storm the city, how bad is it going to be? <laughs> you talk about a way to be miserable. Dwell on evil thoughts continually. Dwell on the negative continually. Dwell on the gripes instead of the grapes continually. And I guarantee you one thing. You'll be a sour. You'll be a sour apple out of the whole congregation if you dwell on that stuff. He said, Master, how bad is it going to be when they get here? Are they going to go ahead and kill us? Are they going to make us prisoners and slaves for the next 500 years? How bad is it going to be? And Elisha says, son, I hear what you've got to say, but let's go to prayer. I can imagine as Elisha and that servant knelt down there to pray that that servant probably got real close to hear what Elisha was saying. 
And I can imagine he was thinking, okay, now I know what Elisha's going to do. He's going to bail us out of this one just like he always does. He's going to pray for famine to come upon them Assyrians. He's going to pray for something to happen to them that uh, is going to get us off the hook here. I know that's what he's going to pray for. But Elisha prays and says, Lord, my servant has a problem. We got a problem? I, I, I know that everybody else has got a problem, but not me. I know that everybody else in this city's got a problem. Yeah, they got the same problem that I've got. Elisha says, no. You have got a problem. You cannot see clearly enough. Oh, you've got tunnel vision straight toward the devil. My God, help me preach. You can only see what's wrong. You can't see what's right. You can only see what's against you. You can't see what's for you. Lord, open my servant's eyes that he might see. And when that boy got his eyes open, he said, my God, I can see clearly now. I see angels, fiery chariots. There's more that be with us than be against us. I've come to tell you, rich lands, God's on your side. I said, God is fighting your battle. He's on your side. Somebody needs to get rid of the magnifying glass and put on the Holy Ghost lenses and see, I'm not going to lose. I'm an overcomer. The battle is most won. Revival will be here. Empty seats won't last forever. Something will happen. Now I've got 18% that believe what I just said right there. These preachers got together and boy, they go to work. They go to work. Every man was felling a beam. Word up for somebody tonight. Here's, here's some good meat to take back home with you. You ready for this? Every man was felling a beam, working out there in the forest, cutting down timbers. Every man was felling a beam. My job isn't your job. Your job isn't my job. It's so quiet in this house tonight. Your job... It's not Brother Phillip's job. Your job is not Brother Randall's job. Your job isn't Brother Steve Kaiser's job. But when every man gets in his own place, and let me tell you, the most dangerous man in the world is a man that gets out of what God has placed him in. That's a dangerous guy. He'll tear things up 100% of the time. 
But if you get in the place where God wants at, you'll see revival come back to the church. I lost the 18% that I had 60 seconds ago. Every man got to working in his own place. And while this young man was working in his own place, something flies off the handle. You know the worst thing you can do tonight is fly off the handle. Oh, I preached this down in Brazil a few weeks ago. But boy, I feel like preaching a little bit more of it tonight. I didn't get this in depth with them. But folks that fly off the handle, let me tell you, that handle's there for a reason. That iron wasn't no good if they wasn't no handle to it. Let things be done decently and in order. I'm so sorry, Brother Philip. Correct me on this later tonight if you want to. But people in church that flies off the handle, what does it look like? What does it look like? What is people, some people that fly off the handle, this is how they act in church. Every now and then they might open one eyeball. Just one, not both of them, just one. Then there's other people, they fly off the handle. And I love this. Where do they fly to? For some reason or another, when they fly off the handle, they fly right to the water, to the lake. When they fly off the handle, it would take, it would take the FBI and the CIA to uh, get together and figure out where they're at on Sunday night. They've flown off the handle. Now, God bless every one of you for being here tonight. Praise God for the faithful folks around here. I told somebody the other night, I said, in the summertime, I just about hate preaching because uh, there's so many empty pews there to preach to. Everybody gets religion when fall comes around or especially when New Year's comes around. But so help me during the summertime. You can't find them. handle and this guy lost that axe head in the muddy waters of the Jordan River I want to ask you tonight are you standing there at that tree and you're watching everybody else as they're swinging and the timbers are falling and you're standing there still watching that obstacle stand in your way Oh, we go through the motions. We show up to church every great once in a while. But it's still the same obstacle. It's still the same problem. It's still the same difficulty. And we're swinging, but the timber ain't a-falling. We're going through the motions, but the walls of Jericho are not falling down. We're doing things just out 
of mere discipline of doing them. But what we must realize is we've lost the most important ingredient for the Pentecostal people. We've lost the Pentecostal power. When the power is gone, when the cutting edge is gone, when the sharp head of the axe is gone, bark ain't a breaking, but there's a whole lot of other barking going on. There's a whole lot of other talking going on. Did you see what happened to him? Did you see what he lost? Did you see what escaped from him? And this young man is faced with a dilemma. I can either stand here, go through the motions, or I can do whatever it takes to get what I've lost back into my life. Let me tell you, brother and sister, here's the secret ingredient. Here's the common denominator. He cries out for the Master. Oh, if we could get the Master involved with what we've lost, I think the timber will fall. I think revival will be ours. But we've got to get the Master involved. When the master gets involved, the first step to revival is acknowledging the fact we've lost it. We've lost it. We've lost something that's so vital and so important. We've lost the sharp cutting edge that could break the timbers down for the last 80 years at the Richlands Camp Meeting. We've lost the cutting edge that when sinners would come into this Richlands Tabernacle, there would be so much conviction that would fall from front to the back that they knew they had to come to the altar and make things right. When we lose the sharp edge, brother, we ain't got nothing left. And so he gets the master involved. I got to hurry here. Give me just a few more moments. I'm going to wind this thing down to a close. The master, he says, where did it fall? Where fell it? That's what God's asking you tonight. Where, where did the cutting edge get dull in your spiritual life? Where did you lose the sharpness at in your spiritual walk with God? Where did it fall at? It fell down. It went off the handle. I reached up and tried to grab it, but... It was a moving too fast. And it got away from me. It, it, it was out of my reach. And it dropped in this, in this spot here in the Jordan River. And I fished around as long as I could. I did everything I knew how. I went to conferences. I went to seminars. I read self-help books. I listened to motivational speakers. But it did me no good. And so... 
The master says, I'll take care of it because you've acknowledged that you needed this. I'll bring it back to you. Let me tell you what happens when somebody gets a hold of the cutting edge. I've got so much more to talk about, but I've got to condense it down to these final few paragraphs. When the cutting edge is coming back, the preachers will preach a message that is not conformed to the voices below, but they will hear the voice of the eternal God speak through the eons of time and tell us once more, revival is still the answer. Revival is still the answer. And so, in 16 and 30, a young preacher on a Monday afternoon in the rain in Scotland by the name of John Livingston. He was asked to preach the concluding sermon of that meeting. 3,000 people stood in the rain as he preached for two and a half hours. Now, I ain't going to preach for two and a half hours, but when I get done telling this story, you'll see why I preached for two and a half hours after the response he got from these people. He preached for two and a half hours. When he finished preaching and closed his Bible, one spectator that wrote about this said, at the moment that he shut the book of God, the heavens opened up, not with water and rain, but with a mighty outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. There were accounts given of people running and leaping and falling on the ground. And over 500 people said that they experienced a life-changing moment. Some even spoke in another language. Hallelujah. Oh, in 17 and 30. You know what happened? Somebody got a hold of the cutting edge again. Somebody reached out for the risen power and said, we can't go another service without it. We've got to have it back. Oh, God, fill us with the Holy Ghost tonight. Fill us with the Holy Ghost tonight. Fall fresh on us tonight, Holy Spirit. In 1739, an Anglican preacher by the name of George Whitfield, was shut out of all the churches in England. He went to the small mining co community of Bristol, England. He went to a cemetery on a hilltop and started preaching. A hundred coal miners, which were covered in coal dust, came to hear Whitfield preach. Whitfield, in his biography, says, As I preached, tears made like white rivers down their darkened faces. They went home and told their families what they had experienced. They started a revival for the next two weeks. And 20,000 people were saved. Because one man said, I can't do without the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Richland's Tabernacle, I feel like telling you again, we can't do without the Spirit of the Lord. How many right now would throw up a hand to God in the air 
and say, Lord, I can't go on without you. Reach out and take hold of it. Hallelujah. In February 1904, a young girl named Flora Evans was asked to testify. She said, on the island of Wales, I don't have much to say today, but I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. He died for me, and I spent time with Him this morning. The gathering became quiet. There swept into that congregation a spirit that had never visited like in that manner before. At the end of that service, they started a revival that would last for the next several months. And over a hundred thousand people were added to the Welsh church because one person said, I can't do without the cutting edge. got to bring it a little bit closer. In the late 1800s, 1890s, there was a great revival of holiness that swept through the Southlands. Some, Brother Crane even talks about this. Even some of the holiness Baptist people in South Georgia was part of this great sanctifying experience. From the preaching of John Wesley, there was a resurgence in the late 1890s for another move of God that came about only by prayer and fasting. That revival swept into southern Indiana, swept throughout Pennsylvania. A preacher came from New Jersey and started preaching. And there on a hilltop in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the top of the hill, they founded God's Bible School and College right at the turn of the century. There was a one-eyed black African-American preacher by the name of William J. Seymour. He went to God's Bible school and college to visit their printing press that they had. He was so impressed with their preaching that he himself decided to become a holiness preacher and joined in to their movement preaching the doctrine of sanctification. He journeyed all through the South and through the Midwest. He went to Topeka, Kansas. And there under the teaching of Charles Parham. Charles Parham preached salvation by grace, sanctification by the blood, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Are you all still listening to me preach tonight? He listened to Parham teach and he went back to Houston, Texas and started preaching the same message though he hadn't experienced Pentecost for himself. They invited him to come and preach at a Methodist church in Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, California in 1906 was a city of a little more than a million people. There was one church per thousand people uh, 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 in the city of Los Angeles. It was a changing time in the city of L.A. He started a revival there at that 
Methodist church. He preached two weeks and preached to them the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Though Seymour himself had still not experienced it, he still preached it. They locked him out of the church. Seymour didn't know where to go. He went to a man by the name of Edward Lee's house on Bonnie Bray Street. And there they started a prayer meeting where they prayed and fasted for the next ten days. At the end of the tenth day, William Seymour received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Brother and sister, tonight it's still real. The power of the Holy Ghost is still real. There is still an initial evidence of the gift of the Spirit. And it comes when you speak in other tongues. The house on Bonnie Bray Street, at the same time that they were starting that revival, he looked... For a building because the house, the porch of the house collapsed because it couldn't hold the people that was drawn to such power inside that house. He journeyed down to an old horse stable at Azusa Street and there he opened the Azusa Street Mission. And from that moment on until right now in 2019, over 600 million people across the face of the globe have testified what the Richlands Tabernacle has is real. The power of the Holy Ghost is real. It'll bring revival. It'll bring souls. My God, I feel it in this building tonight. Oh, and in 1922, it came to Owsley County, Kentucky. And Cash Amberg's granddaddy received the gift of the Holy Ghost. His children in the Depression moved up to Cincinnati. And they brought the same religion that they had in East Kentucky. And in 1941, they started a revival that lasted the next seven years. Right down the hill from God's Bible School, where William Seymour visited at Liberty Street in Cincinnati. My granddaddy, before he got saved, went to that revival and he told me a few weeks ago, I said, Papa, who did you see in that meeting? He said, I walked in that night and there was an old white-headed preacher that was sitting up there on the rostrum and he had his uh, glasses down real low and his name was Garrett White. And he had moved off God's Bible school, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and become a Holy Ghost preacher. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful tonight for the heritage that God has given our people? How God has visited you for the last 80 years. And I feel in my spirit tonight, there's another wave of glory that's about to come again. The power of the Holy Ghost. 
Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Hallelujah! Let it happen, Lord. It's real, brother. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your grandchildren. It's for you that'll receive it. The Holy Ghost is real, brother Roger. I said the Holy Ghost is real. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're going to have our 80th camp meeting. Garrett White preached our first 10 years of our camp meeting. Brother Ralph said as a boy, he said Garrett White would come and preach. And he said that snow white hair. Amen. And those glasses. He said when he would preach about hell, Brother Ralph said it scared me. He said he was the judge and he was sentencing me to hell. And I had to do something about it. Oh, God, we've got to have the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost to sing conviction once again in our midst. Oh, the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Amen. Ralph Mooneyham would come and fast the entire ten days of the camp meeting. He would not eat a bite or drink a drop, but the power of the Holy Ghost would fall and people would be saved. Oh, Lord. Oh, amen. Ralph Mooneyham. Amen. What? How did he get saved? Oh, there was a man, amen, that began to fast and pray for him. Amen. And there he was, there he was, amen, fasting and praying for him to be saved. Uh, what was his name? Payne, Brother Payne, amen. And they come by the horse and a sled, and Payne was a big, huge man, hair-lipped, amen. And he was so weak he couldn't sit up. He was laying in the sled, and they were taking him to the church. And they said to Brother Mooneyham, Said Ralph, do you know why why he's like that? And he said, I have no idea. He said he's fasting and praying for you to be saved. Amen. Oh, amen. And he said, you can tell the old fool he can starve to death because I'll not be saved. Oh, but as soon as he said that, Sister Kathy, the power of conviction got a hold of him, and Ralph Mooneyham got saved and he modeled his ministry he came here and we've got we've got to get the axe head back amen with with a handle how are you going to chop down a tree with an axe handle all you're going to do is beat bark and that's what a lot of our preachers are doing they're doing nothing but beating bark beating the people we got to get an axe head and get it sharp and it'll cut through anything hallelujah Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, amen. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, you think about it. I, I put the new curio there in the hall of faith. And, uh, and uh, Sister Gaynell, 
uh, Thompson, Sister Marie Martin, his first cousin. She's the official historian, unofficial historian for the town of Richlands. She gave me some pictures of Brother Wilson I'd never had. Amen. And she gave me the pictures of the steel arch bridge, the black steel uh, wrought iron bridge that was across the only way you could get from this end. And there was no town down here. It was all up yonder. Amen. And so there, Vince Wilson Sr. came with his gang to take over the town. They deputized everybody. They had the gun, you know. And there, and less than 50 years later, Vince Wilson Jr. got saved and had a part in helping establish this camp meeting. Amen. The Methodists, amen, when, when the, the, the Wabash camp ground burned and they begged, Sheffy begged them to rebuild and they wouldn't rebuild. But you know what? God moved on the holiness people to have a camp meeting. And Sheffy preached his last revival in Richlands in 1902. Amen. And then in 39, there was a holiness camp meeting in Richlands. Oh, we've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost. You understand? Vince Wilson, his daddy was an outlaw. Amen. And a mean man. And Vince was raised in the logging camps. And Vince, amen. If anybody can remember Junior Jones, amen. But Brother Wilson walked and staggered sideways. Amen. They thought he was crazy. They thought it was, but what it was, his vision was so bad. He had a stigmatism so bad. He couldn't see where it was going. He had to walk sideways to be able to see. And they got him something called glasses and put them on him. And he started walking straight. His, his glasses were thick as bottle caps. Hallelujah. But oh God, he was, Amen. He had no education, no understanding, and he became one of the greatest theologians and on the preaching on the coming of the Lord that we ever had. Hallelujah. I'm telling you what, the Holy Ghost makes a difference in all of our lives. It changes us. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We've got to have that power of the Holy Ghost once again. Lord, y'all come and get a song. Lord, stand with me all over this building tonight. I'm finished preaching. Just as Brother Grant came to this pulpit and preached with the Holy Ghost. Just as Brother Ralph preached faithfully with the power of the Holy Ghost. we got to preach with it. We've got to sing with it. We've got to have it in our meetings. Here's what I want to tell us again. Elisha, how bad is it going to be? How bad is it going to be? Lord, open my servant's eyes. The Richlands Tabernacle can only see what's against them. They can't see what's for them. You know what's for you? The power of the Holy Ghost is for you. I feel like there's some timbers that's about to come down here soon. I feel like that there is about some bark that's going to break here soon. I feel like 
that if you as a church can unite together and get a hold of the iron, I think when the Master says, reach out and take it, when you pick it up, you'll see things like you haven't seen in years. And you'll say, this tabernacle might seat 800 or 1,000. Great God, we need one to seat 5,000. Only by the power of the Holy Ghost. If you believe in the Holy Ghost tonight, lift your hands all over this building. Let's worship God as they begin to sing. As they begin to sing. Lord, I love you. I thank you that the message of Pentecost came to Bonnie Bray Street. It got down there to eastern Kentucky. It came to the banks of the Clinch River. And it's still being preached at the tabernacle tonight. The Holy Ghost is real. Come on, church. Let's pray for revival. Let's find us a place to pray. Let's get the Master involved. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. And baptize everyone. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Baptize everyone. Oh, Lord, send the power. Send the power again, Lord. Let it fall on their children. the power just now. Baptize Let it fall on their children. the power just Let it fall on Brother Benny and Sister Sue Hindicott. Oh Lord, in the power just now. Let it fall, Sister Patricia. They were in that. Let it fall, Sister Patricia. They were Hallelujah. Let it fall on the grandchildren. Her brother Alfred, Sister Doris. That was promised. Oh Lord, in the power just now. Oh Lord, in the power just now. Lord, in the power of the Lord, it's real, brother. 